All right. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome once again to the Nefesh podcast. This is episode 56, and I am so thrilled and honored to have friends of mine who I've known for a long, long time uh, on the podcast here, Rod and Kristen Gomez, um, who, again, I've known for like a couple decades. That's that's a little scary. Uh, Rod, you were in my first youth group. There are so many blackmail stories that you could share. <laughs> I mean, I guess it goes both ways, right? I it sure does. You, and you know stuff about me that oh. uh, probably wouldn't want people to know. But um, it, it's it's just awesome to see where you and then, of course, we've got Kristen there. Um, and she is there with a couple of the kids. So, Kristen, just pop on and say hi. Hello, everyone. <laughs> and then uh, Tabitha, I don't know if, if Tabitha, she's eating something, so I don't know if she wants to say hi. Can you say hi? Nope, she's eating. All right. She's not good. having it. <laughs> <laughs> but so excited to have uh, you on, Rod, and to share your story. You know, I've, I've seen, I've seen kind of from a, uh, I don't know, a, a macro as well as a micro view of your life and watched as the Lord has just brought you through so much to where you are. You're in Texas now in, in uh, not, not, uh, I actually don't know where you are. You're somewhere in Texas. I was about <laughs> North to throw Texas. some names, Frisco yeah. or. Yeah, that's about right. All right. You know, uh, Proximate. so many Californians are moving to Texas. I think Texas is about ready to, to send them back. I, 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 th- I don't know. Are they? I think you're welcoming? right. We, they've been super welcoming, except oh, okay. for the one gal at the DMV. Uh, she <laughs> said, "Oh no, not another Californian." Did she really? <laughs> to my face. To my face. At which point, I threw my California driver's license at her and I said, "Take it. I'm here now. You will take this. I That's am right. here." That is funny. Um, so you guys are now in in around Dallas, Texas, and you are church planting there with uh, another colleague and, and pastor. And so it's exciting again to see your journey, knowing where you've been, where you've come from, and just seeing, you know, as I've known you, seeing your potential, always seeing your <laughs> the you know what you could do. Um, you know, from president of the United States, actually, probably huh. nobody wants that job now, but no, thanks. Like, you, you could have been and, and done anything and, and to see where the Lord has brought you is just so cool. So you're going to share your soul story. And, and I want you to take us back to, um, to growing up. What was that like? Uh, you were, were you born in Norwalk, California? Uh, well, th- thank you so much for having me, Sandy Joe. It's been such a privilege to know you and to I mean, just to see even some of the macro of your life as well, to be excited and to be encouraged by that. You've made such a profound difference in my life. And I'm sure I'll have a lot to say about that when we get to that point of the story, but thank you very much. I'm honored and I'm stoked to share some of my soul story with you. Uh, but it does begin in the Norwalk area. La Mirada is where I was born, but Norwalk is where I have most of my development as a young man. I was born to a 17-year-old girl and wow. a 19-year-old I hesitate to call him a man, but a young, wow. another young person. I didn't realize um, your parents were that young when they had you. I, you know, I, it, it registered with me, I don't know, sometime in my early to maybe, maybe my mid teens when I thought, man, my parents were my age just about wow. when they had me. And what I later found out is that they actually, um, they had a, a sibling before me that, that didn't make it. Oh. So 
I, I was not the first, um, but I was the first that made it out. And How, so what was the, did, did the baby just not survive? Did, was it stillborn or do you know the details? I, I do. I, well, I know a little bit. Okay. I know it's, it's tough for, for them to talk about it, but okay. if I'm, if I'm understanding the the signals, right. And, and I think I am, they, they elected not to have the oh. baby uh, at a, at a certain point in the pregnancy okay. long enough to know gender. And I'm not sure who exactly was, was behind it. Okay. Um, but it was wow. a decision that they made. Wow. How does that like, I don't know. How does that resonate with you? That's heavy. It's heavy. And I think one of the things that really stands out to me, I mean, there's so many parts of my life that I can look and see the deliberate act of God just protecting mm -hmm. and preserving me. And I, I don't have to be here. I, I could have been, I could have not been here, obviously. Right. So I am profoundly influenced by the preciousness of my life. And wow. I don't take it for granted. I, I'm so thankful to have a life and I, I have vowed to the Lord not mm. to waste it. So I, I'm thankful for that. As, as heavy as it was to hear that yeah. and to understand what that means and all that had went gone on in my family, it gave yeah. me profound respect for life and mm. gratitude toward God for the life that I have. Well, and, and, you know, fast forward, you've had five kids, so you really respect <laughs> life. <laughs> That's, yeah, it's, it's funny because uh, some of them, they just kind of happened, you know, it's not like we were unclear about how that typically happens, but we just, we were surprised we're ourselves. aware of the whole process and how it works. So some the of public that school clear. system <laughs> didn't fail me in that regard. So I knew that much, but oh. yeah, we, we, we ended up having more kids because we, we love, we love having a larger yes. family and, and granted yes. we're nowhere near your family size, but we're, we're well, thankful for it. But both of you, I mean, you, Christy, you just have a sister and then Rod, you have your brother. Um, and so I mean, do you have stepbrothers and, and sisters, Rod? I have uh, two stepbrothers. Um, let me think here. <laughs> and then I have multiple brothers who are, um, well, okay, I have two half brothers, two stepbrothers. And I think there's more out there that, I, that I'm just not aware of oh, on my dad's my side. I don't know if I knew that. Wow. Okay. But essentially you grew up with, within that nucleus of just your younger brother. Right. And then of course, right. Kristen, you had your younger sister. And so it, the idea of having a bigger family and kind of maybe creating something that you didn't necessarily have uh, growing up with, with some of the challenges that were there. So your parents were really young when they had you. And then there is a, a whole age gap between you and your younger brother, right? Yeah. My younger brothers, uh, he's got four, four or five years uh, of youth on me. Okay. Um, we we were, yeah, it, it was just the two of us primarily, me and my brother, Philip. He and I were close after I left the house, but Growing up in that family, I, I I didn't think eventually I would have a larger family. It was more of a decision in my adulthood of like, no, this is this is good. It makes sense, and I think we can do good to others by. <laughs> this sounds so so self serving. I think we could do good by having a large family. Sure. That was kind of the impetus behind it. Sure. Um, so, were both of your parents present for your for your growing up time? Um, were both your mom and dad in the home? Um, off and on, and it's kind of a tumultuous story. So 
my mom being a young lady, uh, she, she took up a lot of jobs. And as often is the case in families like this, the, the woman will bear much of the burden mm-hmm. to make sure that the family stays together. And so my mom did a very commendable job for how old she was and what she knew. She was a hard worker. Sure. My dad for a season really did try his best to be the, the breadwinner. Um, he was deeply flawed and, and I think still has a lot of issues that he he wrestles with that um, have been inflicted on him from his own youth. Right. When I look back at their their own childhood, my mom had, I mean, she has abuse in her family of wow. all forms and sizes. Wow. Um, and her personally, my dad ha- has very similar I mean, emotional, physical abuse in different forms and fashions on his side. Wow. I look at my family and think, wow, you guys did a really good job, all things considered. Right. Doesn't mean it was good. It doesn't right. mean that I look back and I, I look and, and see, man, I had a Pollyanna kind of life. Right. It was anything but. Right. So my dad, he wrestled with his own demons. And that mm. meant for him, he was in and out of prison uh, quite a bit. Wow. And for a few of those seasons, I remember for all of my high school years, I think, um, I don't know that he was ever out of prison mm. and I, I never visited him. I, I, wow. He would send me letters, but I, I rarely talked to him. I didn't respond to them. And that right. plays kind of a substantial role in some of my development too. I, I grew very embittered toward both my parents. Mm. Um, and for some of those reasons had to do with the fact that they just, they seemed oblivious for how to raise somebody, how to love somebody. Yeah. And again, I now I know looking back sure. what happened and what was behind that. But back then I just didn't understand it. So I grew in a lot of bitterness and hatred toward them. Well, as I mean, it, in childhood and as a teenager, it's understandable that you would develop that, right? And as we grow older and healthier and we deal with our own stuff and we deal with our childhood, whether it's trauma or just challenges, the the mature, healthy part is to be able to grow and forgive and uh, process through that. But it's understandable if you are experiencing neglect and it sounds like that's that's at the minimum what it was. Uh, I mean, again, I, I kind of came into your life, I think when you were 16 and I just, all that you were doing, all that you were involved in, you were, it just felt like you were in a race to, to keep yourself busy, to make something of yourself, but it was all you. I mean, it was you taking care of you getting a job, going to school, being involved in all the musicals, being involved at church. Um, you were taking care of yourself and you probably learned that how to do that at a really early age. And so, um, and I, I kind of prefacing this for those who don't know the area, I don't know what Norwalk is like now. I haven't been, uh, been in that area for many years, but I think at the time you were growing up, it was still not, I mean, there are parts of Norwalk that are still not, not. Uh, so good. Um, right. And it's, it's in LA right. County. Um, and it, there were some challenges even kind of growing up in that, in that area. And I think it it's not uncommon for there to be households where the mom is the primary, either breadwinner or the only person in the house raising kids. Right. Um, that, that was, that was kind of what was going on in that, in that era uh, and in that area. Uh, now there was another layer in that your brother Philip didn't he have a form of cancer? Yeah, and that just adds even more interesting dynamics to the story because my my young brother, uh, my only brother, <laughs> uh, full biological brother, got this tumorous cancer in and about his his stomach region. He'd often complain about um, 
his stomach hurting and, and my parents thought, okay, well, he's, he just doesn't want to eat the dinner, doesn't like the food. And so a few times they let him off the hook, but our family was pretty strict. And so they're like, no, you got to eat, you got to eat. And so they would essentially encourage him strongly, force him to eat. And he would try. And then he would just say, oh, my stomach hurts, my stomach hurts. So eventually they took him to the pediatrician. The pediatrician felt around and thought it warranted an, an MRI or some kind of scan of one sort or another. And they found out that he had this cancerous tumor in his belly that threatened his life. And so that began uh, a series of tests and I mean, years of chemo and radiation therapy, lost his hair. I I struggle to know precisely the timing of his his cancer, but I I can't imagine him being older than five, uh, five or six, somewhere in that region. So you were around nine or 10 at the time, and then it lasted for how long? I, again, the, the timing is hard. I, it's I, I struggle with understanding exactly what what it looked like, but I'm I'm guessing at least a few years. Wow! It was multiple years. I know that much because we had wow. this event that we would go to for families of cancer, mm-hmm. uh, kids with cancer. Right. And we went to that event at least three or four times. Wow! So if that's a good marker, I would say it had to last several years. Wow! Where he was always on the precipice of life and death. They weren't sure if he would wow. make it out because he was really? so. There were times where he was really sickly. Uh, just struggling because I mean he's wow. a, he's a little boy and cancer yeah. and chemo, right? Radiation that really does a number on you, right? I remember my mom changing his you know he he had uh, tubes that were going into his body for different reasons and different mm. seasons and so she'd have to gauze him up and clean up wow. the area. Yeah, it was a really difficult time for our family, but positively, uh, because because they. I don't know. I don't know how to describe this because I think they were so hopeless. They did find hope in the church or in the scriptures, in the Bible. Mm. Um, now, granted, it was Benny Hinn and it was uh, guys like that that promised sure. healing if there was sufficient faith. So I don't think that right. was the helpful thing, but it did get them through the door. Okay. So did they start, did you guys start going to church as a result of that? Is that how you found your way to church? My my mom was more apprehensive toward church, but my dad was was more open to it. He he had friends in prison that that kind of they befriended him and, and they mm-hmm. were Christians. And so that's actually our gateway to church. My dad okay. found friends in prison who got us to a church in Paramount that was in Assemblies of God. Okay. My mom never went, but my dad okay. would take my brother and I. And then that eventually led us to Cerritos First Assembly, uh, right. where where we actually stayed plugged in for years after that. Right. Wow. So what was it? So your dad was taking you to church and the connection was friends in prison. Your mom never went, but you, um, there was something there after a while that you kind of resonated with and continued to stay involved, at least from, from my perspective. When did you first encounter God? Is there a moment where you feel like you became aware of him or his presence or, or something, did something happen? Was there a type of event? Yeah, I I could tell you for sure. One of the primary things God used to awaken me to his reality was the people. Hmm. Uh, The people were so kind and I I felt, I thought they were genuine people Wow. and coming from my background, my, you know, my parents, again, imperfect, broken themselves, they would have a lot of fights. They would yell at each other. There would be screaming. And, you know, my dad would lose his temper. He'd hit a wall. He never hit my mom or hit us. Um, but and you he saw the, the violence, the anger that would be expressed, even though it wasn't at a person, there were kind of violent acts. 
Yes. I mean, and, and it went both ways. My mom was not, was not inactive in those situations. I mean, they, they, they're both real. I mean, their youthfulness was evident. Again, looking sure. back, I can now interpret those events more precisely, sure. but in the moment I'm just thinking this is awful, but it's normal. Oh. This is the way life is. Right. I didn't realize that there was an alternative until I met the church mm. and people at the church were just warm and friendly and kind. And, and, and that began to open the door for me in a real way that maybe there's something more to this. And when I got to Cerritos First Assembly, this is years later, um, people began to show me and my brother, because my father wasn't in the picture for most of that time, he went back to prison. They would be, they'd show my brother and I the kind of love and care and attention that I was, I just had not known. Wow. And so when my dad stopped attending, he was our ride. He was our to and from. Sure. Because my mom wasn't going. Right. Um, we could have stopped attending if it were not for the fact that multiple people jumped in and said, oh, we'll pick you up. We'll take wow. you. We'll, we'll pick you up and we'll drop you off. Wow. And that that spoke volumes to me. It was so mm -hmm. profoundly moving for me. In a way, you were kind of adopted by the church. And, you know, you and I, I know you um, uh, eventually went into youth ministry. And I, we probably both have seen that where. Um, you've got the parents who are not involved and the church or youth or youth pastors step in and kind of create that family environment for these teenagers and or for kids if they're children's pastors. Um, and that really does help to connect these young people to God. And I, I think what you're describing is truly living out faith, right? And James talks about faith without works being dead, that that people were actually, instead of just saying, hey, you need a ride to church, ah, we'll pray that you get one. They're actually going <laughs> and giving you a ride to church, right? So, right. I mean, you, and you got pretty plugged in. I remember when I came, you were involved in Royal Rangers. You were like, everybody was talking about you as this golden child. This is the golden boy. Like, this is the guy who, who is so smart, so active. Like he's going to be Royal Ranger of the year or whatever it is. In Royal Rangers. I don't remember what it is. Um, and then I pretty quickly stole you away from that into youth ministry, which our Royal Ranger leaders did not appreciate but, <laughs> um i mean you you found a, a place there i think along with i mean you were pretty involved at that time in your high school with um well with everything right musicals and and um what was that something and i think this is part of your personality but at some point something kicked in where you just kind of, I mean, you just went for it. You got involved. You, uh, you were a good student. You just put yourself really fully into, into school, into life. I remember that you were juggling a job, musical at school, uh, youth stuff, and um, taking your brother to to church and all of that kind of stuff. At what point did that? I don't know. Did that kick in for you? I'm kind of ashamed about this aspect of it, but part part of what drove me, and I, I, I now that you put it that way, I, I guess I, I never really put the pieces together in that way. In my mind, I was just I was just kind of coping and surviving yeah. and learning to figure things out. Yeah. But much of what drove me, I, I again going back to my relationship with my mom and dad, I, 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 I feel like I really hated them for a season. Mm. I, I, I did. I, I had no respect for my dad. Wow. Again, he would write me letters. I would not respond to them. Wow. I felt like he had not earned any of my reciprocation. Yeah. My mom, I mean, my, my mom and I were at each other's 
throats for di- at yeah. different seasons for different reasons. And so I, I, twice I was kicked out of my house because of fights that. that she and I had. Yeah. So I, I was, I was driven to succeed in order to spite them. And it's funny because ironically, I was in the church and I was trying my best to be a good Christian kid and to do things right. the way God wanted. And yet so much right. of my heart was was propelled by the anger of, mm. I'm going to prove that I don't need you. And yeah. I want to shove this dagger as deeply into your heart as I possibly wow. can so that I can show you that you have been utterly wow. meaningless in my life. Yeah. It, it was powerful. And it was enough to, I mean, I remember listening to music back in that day too, that would really stoke this kind of internal mm. angstiness. And I know that's part of being a teenager. That, right? I, that emo music, right? Yeah, part of it. <laughs> that was really part of it. And there were so many more artists that I'd listened to that really helped, again, fuel that fire of, yeah. of aggression. So mm. part of it was was that. And the other part of it is I know that if I'm going to succeed, I can't, I can't play it safe here. I have to get myself involved in a lot of things. Yeah. I want to make myself marketable. I want to make myself uh, someone attractive to potential employers and schools. So I I wanted to succeed. Um, and in my mind, success really meant just being academically, financially successful, independent, and those kinds of things. You know, that, that, that pain with your parents is, it's really, it's really important to understand and, and, um, and to kind of, I don't know, give you some grace, what you experienced growing up, the instability, the lack of, of really parents who are able to know how to care for you and love you. Uh, Anger, anger is always a symptom of something else. Right. And so the it it sounds like there was just a lot of pain and um and that turned turned into anger then directed at your parents but the positive is that it propelled you forward like you didn't stay stuck and just kind of um meander your way through life you really took it I, I again I just picture you you at that time were just like non-stop I don't even know if you slept I I just feel like you were constantly moving from one thing to the next um and attempting to uh, again just kind of make something of yourself and so I think that you know is the positive so you graduated uh graduated high school and then uh, I know it took you a few years to be able to get into college. Um, there were some challenges there, but you began to work and you got really, really involved in youth ministry as a, a youth leader. And then as a, the worship leader uh, for the for the youth and uh, interned and all of that and felt like there was a call to ministry. Maybe maybe talk about that a little bit during those years. Well, one of the things that really helped direct my heart, my mind, my soul was being part of the youth ministry. It was this deeper impact under your leadership. And uh, I remember when I when I went to the youth ministry and kind of got invested in that and, and you would take me out and make me read these books and, and talk to me um, about digging deeper. Always, it was always about digging deeper. And That's not the right I, answer, Rod. Keep digging, keep digging. Yes, yes. I, <laughs> and I, after I a while, you were just coming up with answers. I was like, yeah, sure, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I struggled so much with those questions. But that, I think that was one of the, 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 there are moments in your life that are just so shaping, so influencing that they just 
okay, I'm being directed elsewhere and and this feels right. This is good. It's a, it's kind of a groove that God sends you through. And I feel like deeper impact and all that happened in that your training, your, your mentorship really helped shape the way that I understood uh, my life myself wow. and it helped help me be aspirational for something yeah. better, something different. Yeah. Um, I think those are the, it, that's when the seeds of forgiveness had begun to be planted mm-hmm. and the seeds of Maybe I don't need to carry this burden to actually yeah. propel myself in a different direction and propel right. myself forward. So youth ministry was super fun. I enjoyed oh. it. I loved it. I had such a great time. I built relationships with people that just felt just felt amazing. Yeah. I loved this season of my life. And it had such an impression upon me that I thought this would be really cool to do. Um, but I, I never thought, I never thought it would make sense for me to presume upon God and say, I'm going to be a youth pastor. I'm going to be in professional ministry. So I always kind of had this, the sense of like, yeah, I'd like to someday mm. at some point when I'm a healthy person, when I, when I have something to offer, God will put me there. Uh, wow. So it was one of those things where I said, okay, I'd like to do that Lord, but I'm not going to put myself into it. You're sure. going to have to do it. So I began to just pursue getting education and, and trying mm. to, trying to prepare myself for ministry. Right. In, in order to be ready if and when the opportunity ever arose. And that's kind of how I played my cards for the next several years. And it, I guess I guess it worked in that <laughs> I always kept an eye on it, yeah. uh, but I, I never pursued it actively. Well, you know, you had and still do had such a hunger for growth and for learning. And it was, it was something that I recognize, uh, I recognize because I see it in myself. Right. And so kind of you were a mirror at times that desire for growth, for learning, for bettering yourself again, similar to what I saw in me. And, but the hunger for you was so, it was very, um, not visceral. There's another word, almost primal. And it was, again, I think there was something link back to childhood, a desire to really pull yourself out and not maybe repeat patterns, repeat things of the past. Um, but it was so awesome to see. And, and it's like, you just, I don't know, like just a shower of, of everything, God, knowledge, learning, growth, leadership. It was just like, you were just letting it wash over you in every possible way that you could. Um, but I think it even, it took you a few years to kind of, to fully enter into that call to ministry. And, um, I wonder, maybe you can, maybe you can, uh, speak to this a little bit more. Was there a part of you that wondered if you were worthy, good enough? And, um, or because the calling of ministry for you, you took it and still do, you take it very, very seriously. So was there a part of you that just doubted that, you know, I don't know that God would want to use you. Man, Sandy Joe, you, uh, <laughs> sometimes your finger on my pulse gets a little too scary. at times. <laughs> I, I wrestled with, I, I mean, I still wrestle with an inferiority complex. I, I don't mm-hmm. know if I call it a complex, but it's certainly there. Yeah, I, I, for the, I mean, I had such a high respect for, for you and for mm. your role. And at the time when we were at desert rain for pastor Don, I just, mm-hmm. I respected spiritual leadership and, and for right. whatever reason, God just gave me a, 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 I think a healthy respect of authorities. Sure. Yeah. And that turned in my mind into something like, man, I, I'm not there. I'm never going to be mm. there. You know, I, I don't have the pedigree. I don't have the, I don't have the training. There's so much I don't know. And I know that there's a million things I don't know. Right. So what would, how would it make sense for me to ever to do that unless right. and until 
I reach some magical stage of, I don't want to call, I mean, perfection and not right. that maybe wholeness or completeness. And even now I, I'm like, I'm not there. I, I know mm-hmm. I'm not there, but God has dealt with me in such a way where I'm still dealing with this inferiority. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's part of what drove me. I think so much. I, I did not want to, I did not want it to be seen that I wasn't enough. I didn't want it to right. be seen that I, I was you know, this, this poor kid from a poor, a poor apartment home, you know, with the dad right. that's in prison. I didn't want people to see that. Right. Um, because then I'd be exposed and mm. my exposure would leave me vulnerable to be rejected. And my rejection would mean my destruction. Right. So there was so much that fed into that. And to, to be quite frank, I, mean, I still deal with this in a lot yeah. of ways. Um, but by God's grace, I mean, I'm making progress, but certainly oh, yeah. man, I am not there. Well, and I appreciate that honesty and vulnerability because, the, the truth is everybody is there and everybody struggles with that. And uh, we're just not as, I think, I think the reality of our, of everybody's level of in, insecurity, there is a certain amount of, of kind of confidence and esteem that it takes for us to survive each day. Mm. And if we don't feel it, we try to manufacture it, right? Fake it until <laughs> you make it. But right. the truth is, it's all for everybody. It's always there. It's always deep within us. And it's so crucial for us to understand this, especially when we talk about our calling um, and vocational calling to ministry. It is a serious thing. And yet, God chooses to use people like me, people like you, people like, right? I mean, nobody, right. nobody is perfect for it. And so you get you get people like Saul, King Saul in the Old Testament, whose insecurity overwhelmed him. And mm. then you get somebody like King David, who probably was insecure, didn't allow that to because he was, you know, he was the youngest and out there uh, taking care of sheep when Samuel comes in to do the anointing. He probably was insecure, but it didn't define his life. And right. he pressed in to know God. He was described as a man after God's own heart. And so the difference, I think, to me is, is clear in that David took everything and he just, just really tried to know and build that relationship with God. And that's, I think, what I've seen in you. Like you didn't turn and, and try to, you know, Saul's trying to kill his enemies and he's trying <laughs> to, you know, every, you know, focus on others. The, uh, you know, one of the remedies for insecurity is just to connect into God right. even more. Right. right. Um, and so back into, you know, you're in youth ministry, a youth, youth leader, and then on a trip in 2006, seven, six. Yeah. Somewhere there. 2006. About. It was a pretty important trip to uh, Costa Rica because there was somebody on that trip uh, that you were destined to meet. Tell us about that. So we joined uh, two churches going on a, on the same mission trip. We, um, we, I, I, the trip of a lifetime, we're going to go to Costa Rica, do this mission trip to, to teach kids the gospel. I mean, I was so pumped about this. It would be the first time that was ever really out of the country and still one of the highlights of my life, but it was a highlight on top of a highlight because there um, in one of our training trips for this thing, I, I met this girl and really it was kind of a passing thing. There's this girl named Kristen. She was always dancing and just kind of a wallflower of sorts while still being incredibly kind, warm. She was serving people and just doing nice things. Um, I, I liked her. She was, she was friendly and that was kind of the end of it. 
at least I thought. Um, we get to this mission trip in in Costa Rica and begin to spend a lot more time together. We've got several scenes together because, of course, we're we're doing dramas. What do you do when you can't speak the language? You do the dramas, and we I'm lifting her in the air, and we're just spending time together. And I can hear, you know, the "Why Do Birds Suddenly Appear" song in the background. And I don't know. We just we just kind of hit it off. The chemistry was there, and we began to talk more seriously uh, just about everything, and. Come to find out she's got this boyfriend who <laughs> I'm sure was a nice guy, <laughs> but you would not have known by, by the way that I talked about him. Just, you know, really, oh, it doesn't sound like a good fit for you, man. You got in there and just, just wiggled your way right in. <laughs> it was funny. Cause I, I think back to this so many times, I, I don't think I was trying to, it just, I don't, I don't think know. you were either, you know, watching you guys on that trip, there was just a, it was a real connection and it, uh, you may not have sensed it right away, but I think everybody else saw the connection was just like immediate and it, the, the way you both just worked so well together and how you complement each other. And I mean, it, it took off right away from there, right? In a couple of years you're married and then a year later you have a kid, right? I mean, it, it, right. it, was, that, it was that quick, wasn't it? It was really fast. And and honestly, we we Kristen and I look back at that season of our lives and just think, man, how foolish we were to to do it the way we did it. To I mean, the the speed of it alone had was enough to say, okay, is this is this the right thing at the right mm-hmm. time? Is this the right way to go about it? And I I lament so much of my failed leadership in that because I could have been so much more helpful to her and to myself. Mm-hmm. We could have been included. I just have to think about including you in this much more mm-hmm. and just seeking wisdom and counsel that I would, I would counsel anybody against the way that I did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is another one of those areas of my life where I look and see all the potential destruction and damage that God just takes it and makes it beautiful, right. redeems and, it. And, and your and, heart, your hearts were both, not to say pure, to be overly, um, I don't know, overly whatever, but there there was really just a, an honest desire to, you, you've met the person you want to spend the rest of your life with, uh, you've met somebody who's a good match for you. You just want to then step into the next uh, era. You want to move forward. And so I, there was nothing about that that was like, uh, I don't know, that that wasn't really, that, that had any, um, again, I don't want to use the word impure as if that's, it's just an overly simplistic term, but sure. um it, there was, I, I think God protected you in all of that and guided you in that because there really was just youth and just a desire to, to begin your life. And I, you know, Kristen, who I, I definitely need to have on this podcast to share her own story. You both come from really broken families yeah. and what is beautiful about marriage is the opportunity to come from brokenness and to come together and create a whole new sense of wholeness. One mm. of the things that I've always said, um, I'm sure you remember me saying it, but that, you know, finding that person, that spouse, really the, the, the goal there is to find somebody who loves God more than I do and who's going to help me love God better, right? right. That that is really the purpose. If if they can't do that, if they're going to bring me down, drag me down, if they're going to be a distraction for me in my relationship with God, then they're not going to point me towards wholeness. But 
when marriage is done right, it really is not about wholeness together so much as, as about wholeness individually as well as as together. And so right. um, I think there was just a, a lot of that desire that the Lord just just honored and and really kept you guys. Um, so from there, uh, you guys moved uh, to a couple of different churches and got involved in ministry there. So you're working full time at this time, right? right. Um, married, then then uh, start to have kids. What was your so at that point in your life? Are you thinking full time ministry? Or are you thinking just I'll do um, I don't know bivocational ministry? Where is ministry on your radar? Always in the background. Always something I'm engaged in. I'm doing it, although. To that point, I, I was not, again, I, I never actively pursued it. And even to this day, it's always been something that God has handed to me. And mm. I think out of mercy and condescension, like he knows that I need that. I just, I'm just mm. not going to raise my hand and say, Hey, I should do the thing. Right. Put me in there, captain. I should be first place. <laughs> I, it's one of those things where I just, it's just not my personality. And, and mm. God has to use kid gloves with me quite a bit. Um, again, going back to that fear, that insecurity. So in the background, um, it's there, but God has given me opportunities. He's He's putting people in my life who are saying, hey, uh, maybe you should teach and maybe we should have you do this as in a part-time capacity. My first part-time gig was at this small Baptist church in Bellflower. And they they asked me, hey, you know, we, we need we need someone like you. Can you step in? And I hemmed and hawed and said, I don't know. Let me think about it. And we'll talk to other people about it. And eventually I, I said, okay, let's let's do this. And, and so I did that on top of doing my my full-time role. And that was really my first foray into paid ministry. Wow. And that was the joke. <laughs> I was it was a part-time gig. And I'm gonna use air quotes here. It was part-time yeah. ministry, <laughs> which you only find out later is really part-time pay for full-time ministry. So I had right. two full-time jobs, <laughs> but I loved it. And it was so special and sweet. Mm. And I love that church so much for giving me the opportunity to to do that in a paid yeah. capacity. It was it was life-changing for us. So when did you know, like, when did you, and we've had these, these, these conversations before. So I think I know, but I mean, when did you know there, there is a moment where, um, I feel like for any calling where, whether it's, you know, vocational full-time ministry or other, whatever the calling is, where you kind of step in and it's like, ah, this is where I was meant to be. This is what I was meant to do. Like, I've had that feeling various times and in various roles was it there was it way back when you were because you were doing all that stuff when you were involved in in the church with us and the youth right. and you were involved in the church overall not just the youth ministry but you know you're leading worship you're a youth leader you were teaching classes mentoring students doing small group stuff when did it feel like there was a, a sense of like this really resonates with me this is this is what i'm supposed to be doing I think I had glimmers of of some of that, really like sampler taste of like this 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 is amazing. I can't believe I'm getting paid to do this, and I I, I don't know if I've ever had a the full meal as it were to use the analogy further. I've had moments where I feel like this is awesome. I can't believe I get to do this, man. I want to do this. I, but there are there's always in the back of my head that critic that says, but there's maybe someone who could do it better. That mm. the money would be better spent supporting that people and those things. Mm -hmm. So honestly, I've had moments of this over the past, I don't know, let's just call it the 10, 10 years of my life where I feel like, yeah. okay, I, I belong here. 
I, I'm not an imposter. I, I had to get over imposter syndrome yeah. over and over again. Right. And I feel like there's times where it's clear, this is a good spot for me to be. And people are affirming this. Mm. Um, other pastors are telling me that I'm good at this and I could right. do this well. Um, but there's, there's always that un, unsettled nature of my heart where I'm like, mm. Lord, I, I'm happy to move if there's someone else who would be who would be better suited for this. Right. I never want to get to a place where I feel entitled to the role, and I don't think that's what you're getting at. Right. It's been more. Uh, it's been a fight for me. I, mm. I, I have to fight myself constantly to say no. I, I need to do this. I, I right. want to. The wants there. It's always that sense of is there is there a is there someone better that to, that can do it? And if so, wow. then I better work harder and and mm. be smarter and and get and get better at my people skills and my mm. preaching skills and all these other skills so that I can be useful to the Lord. And granted, there's a, there's a positive side of that too, where it keeps me sharp, keeps me yeah. running hard. Right. The negative side to that is this incredible burden of performance, which God never yeah. designed for us for. I was just going to say, it, it sounds exhausting. Man, there, there have been seasons where I, I am, I'm sure I created my own, uh, I don't, my own pit uh, of mm. despondence and depression and anxiety and fear mm. and self-loathing because of these things that I put on myself. Jesus doesn't right. do this. Right. This is me. So there are other times conversely where I found great freedom in saying, man, I mm. am who I am. Not like Popeye, but more like, <laughs> like Paul just saying like, this is who I am. And I'm, right. I belong to the Lord. I'm his problem. Right. I'm going to serve to the best of my ability and enjoy what I have the privilege of doing. So I feel incredibly honored that I get to do this. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I don't think I've come to the point where I would say, and this is forever. I, I'd like mm. to do this for as long as the Lord will give me. And, and maybe that is the rest of my life. But there's always someone in the back of my head saying, but if this doesn't work, what's the plan B? And, and I don't mm. know what that is. Uh, I just feel the sense of un unsettledness. Mm. And I think that I think that's helped keep me sharp, Sandy yeah. Joe. You know, when we were just literally this week talking about this very thing, and so I'd like to tie it in, uh, you know, I asked you whether or not you felt like you would go into being like a lead pastor and a senior pastor. And you asked the question, you know, does, does the ability, does a person's ability mean that they should? So right. you, you have the giftings that you could do it. You have the ability to do it. Does it mean that you should do it? And my response was pretty quick. Like, yes. <laughs> yes. Surprisingly um, quick. Because, well, and, and I, I think I want to, I really want to dialogue about that a little bit more. I, you know, it, it, if, for me, it feels like the older I get, the more I realize how short life is, how short uh, uh, our lives really are and how much we spend time, how much we waste time in, in things that are not important or spend time worrying and overthinking. And, and that's for sure me doubting and, and, rather than just doing it and pressing in and taking the, you know, the bull by the horn, so to speak. Um, I think there are a lot of people, all of us struggle with our sense of confidence, our, our um, understanding our abilities, knowing what our abilities are, and then stepping confidently into to doing that. Um, I, I believe God has uniquely gifted each and every one of us. And and that if we have those abilities and gifts, that absolutely we should do it. We're called to do it. So for you, I mean, I know you just literally just moved like three or four months ago to, to Texas and you just right. started this church plan. And so by no means am I telling you to overthrow the, the current lead pastor, but <laughs> um, 
this is an area that, you know, for you, as you begin to think and pray about, um, it will be another probably challenge to, to get past that, that, you know, am I, am I really called to do that? Should I really do that? Is there somebody better who could do that? Um, I don't know. Talk about that a little bit. So one of the things that's stood out to me is, as God, I mean, God has given me opportunities so, so frequently in my life. And, and I've always struggled with, okay, does an opportunity mean a responsibility? Hmm. Um, just because I can do it, does that mean I should do it? And I guess I have waffled back and forth on this for years. I remember you and I talked about one of my opportunities and I said, look, should I do this? And you gave me some counsel that has stuck with me for all those years since. And it's, if you make a bad decision, it's not a decision God can't fix. Right. Um, you can't really, you can't put yourself in a situation that God can't say, oh man, you're stuck there now. Right. There goes my plans. Right. I got so much comfort from that that I said, okay, well, in that case, I'm going to do this. Hmm. I'd rather live with the, re- the, the disillusionment of having failed rather than the regret right. of never trying. So we did that. And, and I still continue to do those things. <laughs> using much of that counsel to feel that sense of, okay, I, I can do this. And if God doesn't want me there, he'll put me somewhere else. Right. Um, but that doesn't give me that sense of, okay, but I, I can play the guitar. Should I, should I lead worship every week? Mm. Well, maybe, maybe not. Maybe God doesn't want me to use that set of skills for this particular mm. season of my ministry life. Right. Every time I, I do this and it's always open-handed and I, and I guess that's part of what kind of influences my philosophy on this. I don't want to force myself upon a situation as though I'm the best fit for the job. Mm. Cause I never really know that. Sure. And I want God to make that clear one way or another. And that's why I tend to step back and say, I don't know that. Res- I don't know that ability means responsibility. I'd rather just sit back and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Yeah. Make it clear. And I'll walk through that door. Well, and I, you bring up a great point that our, that are, and especially, I mean, you know, thinking historically are, we're living into the eighties, nineties, hundreds, um, like we haven't in the past, you know, you think about the, the middle ages or the height of, you know, at the beginning of the reformation and all of that, people are living into their thirties and forties. So to talk about like first, second, third, fourth career, or all of these Mm -hmm. talents and abilities that are leading you from, um, I mean, you were working at a, you know, pretty good job teaching and training um, at a secular meaning, not religious organization. Right. Right. Um, but you went from that into full-time ministry and, and, uh, pursuing education and all of that. Um, those thoughts about having multiple careers or multiple abilities to do multiple things was not even something we thought about four or 500 years ago. And I think, so it's a new, it, and even let's say a hundred years ago, we're talking about women weren't necessarily in the workforce as they are today. And, and men had a single right. career where they would retire maybe at 50 or whatever it was, right? If they had that type of luxury, we're in a whole new age where we are exploring our gifts and our abilities like never before. And there's not necessarily a precedence for this, but it's kind of uh, a new age of enlightenment or or renaissance <laughs> to you know in a way where there's so much opportunity and so many giftings and abilities that it may be for a season so you were a worship leader for a season uh then you were a youth pastor for a season and now you're an associate pastor for a season that those seasons um may change into something else ideally i think as we grow, we grow in our ability and sharpening our strengths and our talents to do something more. And 
And it's not necessarily that our lives move in a linear fashion from one strength and gifting to another. It doesn't work like that. Illness comes in, tragedy comes in, lots of stuff. But ideally, we are growing. And I think, you know, this is what you see Paul talking about in the early church. We're growing in our gifts. We're utilizing our abilities more and more for God's kingdom. And, And so... We may not use all of them at the same time, but that there's growth there for us to use our abilities more maybe than we would have before. Now, one of the conversations that we had, and this probably was maybe 10 years ago, maybe maybe 11. This was right. Why are you smiling? Because you have such a great memory. I'm just so <laughs> impressed by it. I... No, I mean, I feel like my I used to. My memory is going. Again, I think 45 is the cutoff for me. So we'll see. <laughs> I think it's all literally downhill from here. Um, no way. Uh, but I, I, you know, you were, we were talking about full-time ministry and we were talking about the vocational call and whether or not you were debating this, this decision. You were still working at ADP, I think, and and really had a really good job there, enjoyed what you're doing, training and teaching, because you're a teacher. And um, and the question was, you know, do I step out and and go into full-time ministry? And I I was cautioning you to to think about not doing that. And one of the, I don't know if you remember that conversation, but the the idea was. Well, there was a lot to it, but encouraging even more of like a bivocational type of of ministry. And that that is where a lot of uh, some people are going today, not necessarily right. staying in full time ministry, but doing more bivocational mm-hmm. stuff. But the caution was also to ensure that you didn't get hurt in the process, that that churches can have their um, I think the concern was not wanting to see you get just, I don't know, demolished in a, in a, in a, a situation that might be, that might be hurtful. Churches can really be hard, right? I don't know if I should say that they suck, uh, but they do (laughs) sometimes, right? Not all, right? The uh, Bill Heibel says the church is the hope of the world. And I believe that. Um, But I, I don't know. What was that final shift where you said, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to quit this job and I'm going to, and become a, a junior high. I think it was junior high first, right? I'm going to yes, it was. quit this job and I'm going to become a junior high youth pastor. That's right. I, I, I do remember that conversation. I believe you were at the Tustin marketplace. Yeah. Um, and I, I do recall the caution and you, you, you were not the first one to caution me. Actually, there was, there was multiple people in my ear who said something to the same effect of like, Hey, just be careful. Church ministry is hard. And, you know, jumping into it like this without having any, uh, you know, fallback position, you know, a bivocational position really puts you in a, in a very vulnerable place. So the, the reality is I didn't have a, I didn't have an opportunity for that. Um, church wasn't offering, uh, Hey, you could do this part-time and then do the other part-time right. go somewhere else. It was like, right. Hey, we have a, we have a job for you. We want you to do this full-time. We want, we want all of you and the best of you. Right. So the fact that God didn't give me that oppor- opportunity um, to choose that really just, it, it made me say, okay, I have to make a decision and yeah. it's either going to be a great one right. or a bad one. <laughs> and honestly, to, to the point that you made, man, I, I had to take some serious knocks going through that season 
-hmm. there were times when I, I had closed the door in my office and I was basically, I mean, not even basically, I was literally crying to the Lord saying, Lord, am I supposed wow. to be here? Do you wow. want me here? If I should not be here, please get me out. Yeah. Um, if I'm not fit for this, if I'm not yeah. the guy, please, you know, my heart, Lord, I don't want to be here yeah. if you don't want me here. And it wasn't that there was any one thing. It was just a multiplicity of things. It was the expectations and the the lack of response and just the it was it was it's just hard and and it was yeah. so much i mean this I, I was i'm part of a church that likes to do a lot and mm. it's a lot of good things and if one's not careful you can easily build this mentality of busyness yes it, and and the busyness becomes this incredible burden that it's it's a slave driver that never lets you breathe or even right. realize what it, it is that you're doing so right. the habits of silence and solitude and the discipline of just prayerful reflection right. kind of quickly just move their way off into the periphery at best right. wow so i i really struggled and god had to man, severely humble me and, and it was through the life of the church. And, and to your point, man, the church is full of people and, and people are are challenging. We're people. Right. So we understand that. Right. I've learned that sheep do bite. You know, they're not oh. great at a lot of things. <laughs> sheep are really vulnerable, but they bite. Yes. And I remember one kid, Sandy Joe, let me tell you this, one kid, <laughs> thankfully only one so far, hopefully never again, one kid that I had um, start, started telling people, I mean, not people, at least one or one leader, at least maybe two was telling people that I was a pedophile. <gasps> Are you no, serious? Not, not even joking. Not even this kid, is, this kid did not like me. That's so bad. Huge, right? This guy could have ruined my life Absolutely. by saying something like that. Thankfully, the leader was able to talk some sense into him and, and stop him from doing stuff like that. But it was, he, he was just another pebble on like the, the back of the camel yeah, or whatever, yeah. the straw where I'm just like, right, oh, right. this is, how do I survive? And thankfully, God got me through that season. I mean, not without a lot of heartache and difficulty and turmoil, but God got me through that season and helped me really come to grips with, okay, um, the church is dangerous because people are dangerous. And yet, I'm still called to be vulnerable. I'm still called to have a tender heart, even as I try to maintain thick skin. Well, and Rod, I think what what is so, what is so powerful, and I think... Um, and I know you've toyed with the idea of even teaching, like becoming a, a college professor, because you right. really have a passion to teach. Um, and I, I think this is where the the fluidity of our calling, and again, especially today, I think it's becoming more rare for a person to stay in one one church, one position, you know, forever. And it's yeah. not because not because. Um, God changes or anything like that. But I think it's just, we're living in different times and we are being able to use our talents and gifts in more ways than we, than we would have had the opportunity in previous times. And so there may be, I, I, you could, you would be an awesome college professor. I could absolutely see that. Um, but I also could see you and I could see you doing both, of course, but I think for you, I, full-time ministry is something that I I don't think I worry about you for you anymore. I think you can easily, I mean, not easily because it's tough, but I think you could navigate this because this is what you're called to do, whether, it, whether it's ministry in a college setting, again, as a professor or both. I think that this is what you are truly called to do. And it's, it's, um, and it's not like I couldn't see it before. I think what I was worried about before was again, just the, 
um, getting into a church setting where, you know, you, you got a position at a church, but yeah, there's no backup anywhere else. Or if it's not, you know, connected to a denomination or there's networks where you can go elsewhere and all that kind of stuff. And I think it was more particular to um, just kind of that. And even, you know, um, giving up that, that full-time job, a good job and going into ministry, but you have been, and I've seen others do it and then go back to their jobs, but you but you have been prepared and being prepared from a young age for this. And what I saw even way back, you know, when you were younger is that you had such a heart for God and, and such a concern for others and such strong leadership abilities. Um, and you just loved, I think you just loved ministry in, in so many different ways. And so it's wonderful to see it on the other side of it and seeing it played out and for you to have the courage to step in to that role and to, to let go of other things and to stick with it when people are calling you not so nice things, especially, you know, really, really bad things that could put you in prison. Um, I mean that like, that's really powerful. And then here you are with taking another huge, huge, um, leap of faith to leave family and friends and to move to the middle of the country. I mean, what was that process, that journey to get you to this place to, um, to take this position? God has historically dealt with me in, in one of two ways. Uh, one, he gives me a voracious desire to do something. And I'm like, I'm going to do that. I got to do that. Uh, most often though, and most predictably, um, again, because of my temperament, my personality, he has to put me in a position where it's like, I, I kind of have to move. I have mm. to do something because he's pushing me out of the nest. And so I, I love my last home. I, I loved where we were at. I loved our church. I loved where we were in, this, in the country. I mean, beautiful weather and beaches and mountains and everything that we could possibly desire. There's no way I'm going to leave that willingly. <laughs> right. So God puts me in this position where I, I, I kind of, I, I have to make a decision mm. what the next phase of my ministry life is going to look like. And I thank God for that because it put me in the position to examine everything and say, okay, what am I looking at? What am I doing? What makes sense? Where am I gifted? What, where can I make the biggest impact for the kingdom? And I don't think if I were, if I were put in that position, I don't think I, I would have spent time thinking much about that because I was so comfortable. Right. So God gives me this position to say, okay, well, you can't stay in your current role. There's going to be a transition. You have to make a decision. You can go to other churches. You can apply to work at these other churches that are known by our church. And I just began to lay down the options. And one of the options was to plant a church with one of my friends from my old church. Wow. And one of the fellow pastors brought it up to him and said, Hey man, what do you think about me coming with you? He was the one, he's the one that's leading this church and we're friends. And he, he responded very positively to that. So when he responded that way, I brought it to Kristen and I said, sweetheart, what do you think about this? We're talking about next phase of our life and ministry. What if we move to Texas? And that began a series of, I don't know, maybe six or eight months of prayer and counsel seeking. We were talking to different people about what they thought about it. And again, we came to this conclusion of we're, we're, we're given no guarantees. We have no idea what this is going to be, but we'd rather suffer the, the loss of having tried and failed yeah. and right. suffer the delusionment of simply just staying and letting the default select mm. us. I didn't want that. I wanted us to pick something that we felt like, oh, we're, we're going to do this. We're going to exercise some faith. And it was a much bigger deal because now my kids are older. I have a 14 year old and an 11 year old. Yeah. 
they, they had some serious friendships we're at. And, sure. and I, I really, really weighed that heavily before yeah. I pulled the trigger, but I thought, no, this is good for all of us. Wow. We're all going to be uncomfortable. We're all going to have to suffer mm. and, and adjust. And I thought that's, that's great for them. They're going to learn right. early on that life is really uh, best lived uh, mm. just outside the realm of your comfort zone. That's how God's going to most effectively use us most often. Wow. So here we are. We're four months into it now, I think. And we love it. We're learning to adapt to the weather and to the culture and to all sorts of things. And we still don't even know because we haven't been here a full year yet. We don't know what right. the winter's going to be like, which is going to be right. very different, I hear. We're just, uh, we're 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 learning and we're adapting. And on granted, I, I do see some troublesome signs in my family. Mm. I mean, some of the, the tumult has caused some frustration and short tempers mm. and impatience. Right. But I also see lots of good things. Um, being part of a church plant makes us scrappy and resourceful yep. and lean and mean. There's so many positives to it that I, I thank God for. And, and I fully expect that in the next five years, God's going to show us great growth. Mm. Uh, personally, I, I trust and I, that much I do know. Whether it's corporately in our church, I, I don't know. I'm hopeful. I'm optimistic. But I don't I don't hold God to anything mm. because he's God. He can do what he wants. But I do know and am fully convinced we will grow in love for him and in love for others. And ultimately, uh, that's what I want. Yeah, I love that, Rod. And I, you know, I think all of your life has positioned you to be able to um, make these decisions and you weighed them out and you're a very thoughtful, intentional person um, and weighing all of these options. But yet, um your life has prepared you then to be able to make this huge move and, and take a risk and, and a leap of faith and, um, and be willing to step out into something that is definitely going to stretch you, your family, your kids, you know, there are going to be struggles that they're going to face and new schools and just a whole new culture, a whole new climate. Right. But the difference between how you had to kind of suffer or, well, survive and struggle through childhood and all the tumult and, and uh, lack of a strong foundation there, it that's not the same as what they're experiencing. Like they've had that good foundation, that care and nurture. And so what they are ex going to experience is a type of healthy growth, I think, right, where it's it's time to branch out and not, as you said, stay in your comfort zone. And they're going to experience that uh, for their own life and maybe be willing to step out and do courageous things in their own life for God, because they see that, that you're living that as well. Hmm. Rod, it, it is always such a pleasure to talk to you. Um, your, your insight, your wisdom, your heart for God, for people um, you are, truly unique in um in just who you are and your ability and capabilities and um i love what you're doing i love i love seeing not only the growth but you truly are extraordinary and there are so many things that that are yet to happen you finished your master's degree you're now looking at um well you got your bachelor's degree it was in leadership at biola that's and right. then a uh, master's yeah. degree in Christian ministry, Christian ministry. And then are now looking at uh, potentially a demon, maybe in biblical counseling, which would be fantastic. Yeah. Um, and so it's just exciting to see, to see where you've been and where you're going and um, appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. 
Danny Joe, thank you so much for not only having me on your podcast, but, and I told you before, and I'm going to put it on the air now so that you don't forget it. Um, you are, I, I, you're definitely, if not the most influential person mm. in my life, you are, you are one of the most and your love and your care for me during those crazy years that I lived has left an imprint on me that I still can't shake. In fact, one of the things that you said earlier in the podcast, I've almost repeated verbatim to my students um, and my kids. Um, and it's funny because there's so many things about the way that you taught me and the mm. things that, I mean, our, our early morning prayers together back yep. when we were in Cerritos. Right. I mean, picking me up for coffee and just yep. taking me under your wing. I am so, so thankful for your love in my life, Sandy Joe. I would not be the man I am wow. apart from your investment. So thank wow. you so, so much for being willing to be used by God in this in this guy's life. I'm, wow. I'm deeply humbled and thankful for your life. Thank you so much, Rod. I, that means that means the world to me. And really what that also means is that I am to blame for all of your, you know, if you go awry in your ministry, <laughs> I exactly what I'm getting at. They'll know who to come and who to blame, uh, who to blame. Well, Rod, thanks again. Stay, try to stay cool in that, in that Texas heat. And I I would love to love to bring you back on. And uh, at some point, especially as you get into the church planting stuff and kind of share how things are going. Um, What's the name of your church for anybody who's in Texas uh, and for anybody who wants to come and, and check it out. Oh, thanks so much. Uh, Compass Bible Church. Uh, we're meeting currently in Frisco at Founders Classical Academy on Sundays at at a morning hour. <laughs> 10 o'clock. <laughs> 10 o'clock, I'm pretty sure. Please check our website. <laughs> I get sometime. there so early, I don't even know. I get there early. I'm there. I don't even know what time it all rolls it's into the next part, right? Yes, exactly. But <laughs> it's a pleasure website? to be on the podcast. Yes, uh, compassntx.org. Uh, NTX is in North Texas. North Texas. NTX. Dot O-R-G. Dot O-R-G. CompassNTX dot O-R-G. So if you're in that area and want to go check out um, check out their church and, and uh, see what God might be leading you to do or be involved, that would be awesome. All right. Well, this has been a, another episode of our Nefesh podcast, episode 56, and really, truly a thrill and an honor to have Rod Gomez come on and share his story and his journey and his calling to ministry and now uh, in letting leading him that has led him to North Texas and uh, doing ministry there. And so we're grateful for that. And we will talk to you next time.